Hello there once again, Team NXT, C.D. Danny Mac here, bringing you episode 116 of that UFP show, all about the NXT show, the Undisputed Future Podcast. Thank you so much, it is great to be back behind the microphone again. It really couldn't come at a better time either, I mean, being a person is incredibly difficult in 2020, but we're keeping on pushing and... If you're listening to this, you're obviously here. I'm very happy that you are. This year has been tough on everyone. Give yourself a break, watch some pro wrestling, and just take take your mind off of shit for a while. Please do yourself a favor. I know I have been. Um, being a content consumer has been a lot more tempting recently than being a content creator, but I'm here. We've had TakeOver 31. We've had a couple weeks of chaos in between. And now we have the return of Halloween Havoc the WCW Classic event, the home of my favorite match of all time between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, title versus mask, also at Halloween Havoc. Shotzi Blackheart hosting Halloween Havoc. Everything about this evening just pieced together so nicely, and I'll be discussing all about Halloween Havoc from October 28th, 2020, with one from NXT Wednesday the next stop, the stat man, Peyton Westner. Peyton's going to be joining me in just a matter of minutes, but I'm going to start the first few minutes off in the show, and not only to get myself warmed up and the podcast juices flowing again, but take you to TakeOver 31 and all sorts of the wackiness that happens between TakeOver 31 and Halloween Havoc. I'm going to try and avoid some of the repeats. This will just kind of be a how-we-got-here sort of take, and if there's anybody, unfortunately, not featured on Halloween Havoc, that might be worth discussing. Something directly featured on both Halloween Havoc and NXT TakeOver 31 was Damian Priest versus Johnny Gargano for the North American Championship. Priest was able to successfully retain at TakeOver 31. I thought Johnny took him through a really great match. Gargano making everybody look great when he's in the ring with them, even as this sort of heel, which, if you've listened before, I'm still questioning heel Johnny Gargano at this point, and I'm sitting here in his merch, so go figure. Even, you gotta question even some of the tactics and scripting of your favorite wrestlers sometimes, but you always gotta have their back, you know? Uh, Priest, successful title defense there, but wackiness would ensue this past Wednesday. Kushida versus VD. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about VD and his Doc Brown. Doc Brown also hanging out with a teenager in the Back to the Future movies. Not exactly a good look on Velveteen Dream at this point in time. But Kushida always rocking the Marty McFly look. And Kushida looked great through this entire matchup. Laying the smackdown on the VD. And the elbow drop would be no good. The VDVD driver would be no good. Kushida would lock and snap in a hoverboard lock, and Kushida himself would absolutely snap. So I'm really liking where Kushida is going in the grand scheme of NXT. Of course, we saw him have a triple threat match with Tommaso Ciampa, and the Dream recently, the VD recently, sorry, he's no longer a Dream, he's a disease at this point in time. But Kushida's looking good. It's Important for him to stack up these wins. Him getting the victory over Tommaso Ciampa was unexpected in that triple threat match. That's definitely one shock to my personal system. 
on things, but it seems like VD is going to be on the radar of Tommaso Ciampa and the incredible promo that I'll get into more detail about later on. Cruiserweight Championship match between Swerve Scott and Santos Escobar. It was everything I thought a Cruiserweight Championship match on a TakeOver card should be. I thought Swerve would really make the house call and win this matchup. But Santos, with the strikes and the underhanded use of the the theory of this finish, was so good where the... Not the turnbuckle pad itself, but the pad behind the metal that holds the turnbuckle pad in place on the on the post. That being exposed, and that being an X-factor of, whoa, you really rock your head on that, sucker? Yeah, the, the thought was good. The execution was, was not quite there. Nevertheless, um, what do we got? We got Santos Escobar's reign and Legado del Fantasma still running things as far as NXT Cruiserweight action is concerned. More to speak about later on, as well as Jake Atlas and his confrontation in uh, in this whole picture. We would, of course, have six-man tag team action between TakeOver and Halloween Havoc. Legato Del Fantasma still continues to roll. Another popular match we've seen between TakeOver and Halloween Havoc, Candice LeRae, Io Shirai, cannot speak enough good things about this rivalry ever since TakeOver Toronto 2. Script was even a little bit flipped back then, still lovable, non-poisonous pixie Candice Gray against the newly descended into the darkness genius of the sky, Io Shirai. Io's title reign has been has been significant. It's been long. It's been it's been a good one. It's been quality match after quality match after quality match. And these two against Candice Gray would be no exception, a Spanish fly to the moonsault, incredible ending sequence in this matchup, and still our NXT Women's Champion, Io Shirai. Returns happening at TakeOver before I get into the incredible action that was Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly for the NXT Championship, because I think it's a personal felony of mine that I haven't sat down and just taken 15 minutes to talk about this match alone. Um... The NXT Women's Division is absolutely freaking stacked, and now you add two of the incredible talents that are Tony Storm and Ember Moon. Tony Storm, a Mae Young Classic winner, a champion of NXT UK. Great matches on her resume, not just in NXT UK, but all around the world. Tony Storm has been one to watch, and she's just going to continue to elevate that division. Ember Moon's return. Ember Moon, I could not be more excited to see in between the ropes. In between the ropes and wrestling. In between the ropes with a live microphone in her hand. I think there's a lot of room for let's not quite do this if we don't have to. I think the pre-recorded promos do her good. Colin, what are you doing? Dog's playing all sorts of chaos going on behind me. Next thing you know, my lights are going to be flickering and uh, a couple of dudes in masks are going to show up. Ember Moon versus Dakota Kai. I think it's a great rivalry to have outside of the NXT women's title picture right now because I think Ember's, Ember Moon's slow burn back into the NXT women's division should take her through one or two successful and really, really delivering rivalries 
outside of the title picture. And I think heel Dakota Kai against a returning Ember Moon with a lot of hype is a great place to start. I cannot wait for the quality of matches to come from that. And we'll see those on the first edition of NXT TV on November 4th. That one has been confirmed. So lots to look forward to in the NXT Women's Division. In the NXT World Title Picture, Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly beating the absolute piss out of each other. Kyle with a way more strike-heavy offense, that's for damn sure. A knee to the jaw that would shatter Finn Balor's jaw, for lack of a better term. I don't know how you can say anything other than a shattered jaw based on the pictures and footage we've seen on NXT as of late. Finn Balor, one tough son of a bitch, finishing the match anyway. This match was explosive at all times. I cannot get enough of Kyle O'Reilly's wrestling style. Only, and primarily, not just only because, I mean, the guy's the total package, personality outside of the ring as well, but his combat style and his mixed martial arts background and his jiu-jitsu from standing and the ground game. It's exactly how I would try and incorporate a Kempo Karate mix with my own background. So if I picture myself in between the ropes and how I would try and tell a story, I see myself with a lot of Kyle O'Reilly's style. So that's what makes him my personal favorite member of the Undisputed Era. That's why I think he should be getting the singles push outside of one Adam Cole at this point in time, especially with what's going on with the Assassin's hit on the Undisputed Era, which I will get way into with Mr. Peyton Westner. Don't you damn, you bet your, you bet your bottom dollar on that one. My theory absolutely came true. Imagine if a former NFL punter hired a former rugby player to take out Adam Cole. Little, uh, little something there. But Kyle versus Finn, man, it was everything. It was absolutely everything. That storytelling with that midsection spinning back kick from Bauer to Kyle O'Reilly's liver. I've seen them sell a left arm. You sell a left leg. You sell even just a general midsection attack. But specifically pointing out that a liver was softened up by a shot and that the coup de grace targeting point was that very section of Kyle O'Reilly's anatomy. Brilliant stuff there. Kyle took a shot at the Prince, but he missed. And Finn Balor is still hook, crook, broken jaw, possible six weeks, although it's been at least three at this point. So knock on wood that our champion will be back in fighting shape soon, ignoring the fact that the NXT championship is cursed at this point. Let's just call it is what it is. Bad rap for that title right now. And uh, hopefully Finn Bauer is able to overcome this. I'm really imagining that the Finn Bauer carrying cross program is right around the corner. I don't know if that calls for the return of the demon. That's a lot. I feel like that's going to be decided over the course of the storyline taking place. So I don't exactly know what or when is going to trigger that return. But I think if any opponent can bring it out of him, it's an apocalyptic juggernaut like carrying cross seeking revenge and his title that he never lost, a feeling that Finn Balor and his own personal demons know all too well. Uh, That's it for TakeOver 31 and a couple other mixed bag of things. I want to talk about Bronson Reed a whole lot. Bronson Reed versus Austin Theory from the previous week of NXT action I thought was great. 
I thought that was my personal match of the evening. And Bronson Reed's a freaking star. From the entrance to the impact that he makes to the matches he's having, I think Bronson Reed is a major player and a future NXT North American champion. I think looking at in-ring ability and look strictly, Austin Theory, at his young age, has room to grow and make smart decisions and really know how to get himself on a great track. And I think he's going to be a talent to watch when, of course, he doesn't quit. Air quotes. Can't see me on video yet. Um, I think Austin Theory's got, got something there. I think that there is a real... Real chase and desire for him to succeed in the in pro wrestling, and I think a few months away or weeks away performing and staying out of the spotlight, he's already proven that he can hang with main event players, and his gimmick as of late has been I lose to really important people in the NXT system. So there's obviously faith there, and be and Bronson Reed being one of those people, not just once but twice, very very important factor there uh leading into halloween havoc discussion then i'll leave you guys with a musical interlude leading into my discussion with one peyton westner let's talk about pat mcafee folks let's talk about pat mcafee stealing the show at takeover 31 with adam cole looking and exceeding everyone's expectations in professional wrestling the man can talk he's obviously a body guy he's a former football player and his athleticism off the charts His promos have me hooked. Him hiring Ridge Holland and buying the man a Mercedes and not just handing him a generic sum of money. I thought another really nice touch. I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of Pat McAfee so far. He's the, he's shows up and he's the best heel in probably the company. Legitimate heat being an outsider coming in, taking up. Yeah. I paid a guy to take out a former rival. I didn't feel appreciated after... I didn't feel appreciated, and the disrespect around here towards my talent is immeasurable. Oops. I might have tripped along my way to get proper vengeance. Let's hire a couple more tough-ass dudes on this roster who are due some NXT Championship gold. Only Lorcan and Danny Burch. A success because of Pat McAfee's interference attacking the Undisputed Era, knocking them out of title contention. Bobby Fish, Roderick Strong, sent not to a local medical facility, but to a hospital that Kyle O'Reilly would have to visit them at. Lorcan and Birch slithering their way to NXT Tag Team Gold to watch Pat McAfee's back. McAfee's building quite the stable around him. Someone else would be joining the fun, the longest reigning United Kingdom champion in history, the Bruiserweight Pete Dunne, joins this exciting picture. I have a very good name for what I think this stable will be perceived as, and I'll get into that just a matter of moments. Thank you so much for listening up until this point. I'm leaving you with a few brief moments of guitar and drums and riffing. I'll see you on the other side, speaking with the Statman, Peyton Wessner. Okay, the Skype starting recording notification is up. My screen is up. 
That can only mean one thing. I have a guest this week, and as I stated before, I'm covering NXT Halloween Havoc from October 28th, 2020, with the one, the only, the future master of sports broadcasting, the Statman, Peyton Wester. Peyton, how you doing? I know we've been sitting here talking a while, but tell the people, how excited are you, back, are you to be back here? And just how have things been, man? Uh, we've missed Next Stop. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm so thankful to be here. I love that stat guy. I go as the, the friendly neighborhood stat guy, I think is what I have on my Twitter. I'm like Spider-Man without the powers and not necessarily as handsome. Uh, but hey, I'm so glad to be here. Things are going great on my end. Just trying to stay safe during this new time. Uh, new normal, I guess is what I should say with the pandemic. But I'm so thankful that NXT continues to rock and roll. And I mean, does it get any better than Halloween Havoc? Am I right? It does not get better than Halloween Havoc. The nostalgia trip that that evening took me on. I mentioned in the beginning with my bit of a solo rant, but my favorite match of all time is Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Mask versus title, Halloween Havoc. So just seeing this event come back, my friends and I were talking about it since that promo video first aired. I got a lot of friends paying attention to NXT because of Halloween Havoc. That name value means a lot to us 90s kids. And the stage was set. I love the, the super spooky and rocking intro. Marilyn Manson going off. I mean, between Slipknot and Marilyn Manson, I, I think the NXT music scene is alive and well. I don't know about you, Peyton, but that really struck me in the high school chords. Just just the general feel. like between It covered all my bases. The music style hit me in the high school, and just the general feel hit me right in the childhood. Oh, most definitely. I, I, I know as someone who is... I guess a, a newer, uh, a little younger since I'm still in college, just full disclosure. But it really did bring me back to that type of vibe. And I really appreciate that type of nostalgia, especially during this time. I know I've become very nostalgic and NXT Halloween Havoc delivered on so many levels. So, so, so many levels. Uh, we were talking about it before, the old school wrestling and just even a few years ago, NXT has gotten us through this year. I mean, the WWE Network has many, many uses for uh, for coping with social distancing. Um, I mean, we could, we could sit here and talk about the name value of Halloween Havoc from the past for hours, but let's jump into what it means, what it meant to us on October 28th from where you and I are sitting yesterday, last night, from the super spooky and rocking intro, Shotzi Blackheart looked like a million bucks. I... Uh, Let's get this out of the way right now. Your favorite Shotzi look. Mine personally, I'm going with the old school Britney Spears look and devil that she closed the show with. Yeah, yep, exactly. Same for me. Shotzi has really taken NXT by storm. When I first learned of her, it was when she eliminated Shayna Baszler. That's when she really hopped onto my radar. And she has taken the ball and run with it. I thought maybe she was going to actually be challenging Io Shirai tonight a couple weeks ago when she was in a number one contender's bout. But she took this role as host, and there is no one on that roster that could have done it better. And her value skyrocketed just by being the host of Halloween Havoc. I mean, she didn't even compete, technically. She didn't have to compete. She was She's so much personality, and she's got that unique look. I mean, the green hair is a standout right away. I was fortunate enough to know about Shotzi just a little bit prior to her NXT debut. So when I saw her first lock up with Bianca Belair who we know was a major player then, who's going to be a major player coming up. When your first TV match 
even if it's a loss, you're in the ring with somebody that NXT clearly had the rocket strapped to. You're going to be going along for that ride, and I'm honestly really happy that it's Shotzi. The host competing for the NXT Women's Championship match, I was definitely going along those lines as well. Like, how many Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae matches are we going to get? I'm never complaining about a single one of them, but the numbers are getting a bit askew on uh, on how many times we're going to see this match without a title change, as we now know. Um, but speaking about title changes, I'm going to cover Shotzi a little bit later on. First match that we would spin the wheel. Um, one Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano, Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Takeover, Johnny Havoc, Johnny Wheels. I think we might be adding to the list here. I think Johnny Wheels is going to add the list of nicknames. Taking on the Archer of Infamy, Damian Priest. Damian Priest, North American champion. The guy looks like a rock star. The guy has that. He has that star presence that you've heard on the old school podcast where if he walks through an airport, people are going to turn around. He has that kind of vibe. He's from New York City. I'm incredibly biased towards him. Peyton, just some quick thoughts on our, at this point in time of conversation, North American champion Damian Priest. What do you think of him? What do you think of him holding the title? I think his reign has been really good. I mean, when Keith Lee vacated the title, I was very skeptical of where we're going to go. I didn't like, actually, that decision by NXT creative. I would have preferred Lee loses to someone. Maybe in a two out of three falls match, I know there was a lot of hypotheticals thrown away, thrown around for how Lee could have lost the North American Championship while retaining the NXT Championship. Regardless, he vacates it. And then Priest, who had a wonderful match with Finn Balor at t- TakeOver earlier in the year, he really solidified his status as someone who is ready to take a title, which he did the latter match at TakeOver 30. So Damian Priest's title reign has been really good. And I really, I mean, what else could he have done? I mean, he's really had very dynamic character development. I like the the vignettes of him partying. We can talk about this later, but based on how this match is going to go, I would have liked to seen it maybe go a little different way from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, definitely. When we get in the real meat and potatoes of the thing, um, there's definitely a couple of ways this this could have gone. I think, especially looking at the show as a whole, I think the results of not just this match, but the later on main events could have also kind of shaped out in a parallel sort of way. Um, Johnny Gargano rocking another cosplay. I'm a huge Nightmare Before Christmas fan. I don't know about yourself. I was guessing Jack and Sally as soon as Johnny tweeted about it. I was very happy to be right on this. I love Johnny's gear. Just a quick thought on that. Amazing gear. I think if you go back through NXT history, Johnny Gargano has the best gear body of work. I mean, I love the Marvel cosplays. Then he obviously delivers at Halloween Havoc. I mean, who else is there really? I mean, I don't really consider Finn Balor's demon persona as a cosplay or an attire sort of situation. So it's me as Johnny Gargano, and I have no idea who would be second. So another great in-ring gear for Gargano. And I really loved his entrance, him taking out the pumpkin. I mean, hey, I, why, are you, why are you hating on pumpkins, man? I mean, he's hating, on, he's hating on pumpkins. He's got a mixed relationship with wheels. Uh, Johnny, heel, heel Johnny Gargano is all over the map. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But heel Johnny Gargano is so all over the place. And based, on, I'm trying to really piece it together and compare it to something. And the most I've come up with 
especially with uh, the video that we would see later on on uh, on Twitter. He's kind of like that guy who sits in the bleachers at the games and is like the really most obnoxious over-the-top sports fan who just beats a saying into the ground until other people in the crowd either laugh or tell him to fuck up. It's, it's either one of those two. And I think Johnny's kind of embraced that obnoxious fan into being a wrestler. I think that's how I'm reading Heel Gargano at this point. Hey, don't change anything, Johnny. Fantastic heel work. I mean, has there really been a character like heel Johnny Gargano in NXT history, one that's just so over-the-top full of it? I mean, I'm sure there have been. You can even look at Bo Dallas and the Believe uh, campaign, if you will, but... I mean, Johnny Gargano, I think this heel run has really showed how versatile and dynamic he is as a wrestler, that he can play both roles. He can be a babyface, he can be a heel, and he can thrive at both. I'm ex- I'm accepting it for what it is because I think the past couple of weeks have sold me, but at first, man, it took a lot of convincing with those, uh, those Candace and Johnny promos. <laughs> this match between Johnny Gargano and Damian Priest would shape up to be a Devil's Playground match. Quick, Peyton, what was your first thought when you heard Devil's Playground match? Because I had no freaking idea. I, I had no idea either. I did take issue with Shotzi spinning the wheel because based on the vignette that we saw at the Gargano's home where Candice and Johnny are on a training wheel, literally, I would have liked to seen maybe Shotzi oversee Candice or Johnny spinning the wheel. To, to me, that, that vignette didn't make sense if Shotzi's going to be the, the neutral wheel spinner, for, for lack of a better term. So I did take issue with that. Devil's Playground, I'm fine with the stipulation. I, I really was curious, though, what if it would have been Boiler Room Brawl? Does the WWE Performance Center or Capital Wrestling Center, does it have a Boiler Room? I mean, these are questions I need to know. We would probably see how eco-friendly or lack thereof the WWE Capital Wrestling Center is if uh, if they were to give us such a tour of a boiler room or uh, whatever whatever mechanics they got going on. I don't know what the heck they need besides an oversized AC in, uh, in a Florida arena. It's, it sounded like there was going to be some sort of weird, more like red-aligned gimmicks on the steel-plated fence, maybe. I expected something maybe like a lumberjack situation outside of the ring. But it ended up just being a last, a uh, not last man standing, which is another idea that I thought it might have been. It was just a false count anywhere match with extra steps. That's how I took the uh, the Devil's Playgrounds, just a false count anywhere with a with a catchy name. Well, that's a um, really by NXT because since it's leading the show, if you if you knew that Devil's Playground was a possibility, or if we really want to to break the wall here. If Devil's Playground was going to be the stipulation, you could easily add some of those elements since it is the first match. And then, of course, with Shirai and LeRae ending the night, if you wanted it to be a very unique stipulation with added elements in play, I mean, it. in terms of a production standpoint, I don't see any reason why it couldn't have happened. But I'm with you. I, it didn't really seem like a Devil's Playground, but more of a just a, a last man standing call, uh, falls count anywhere match. Yeah, definitely. I mean, end up being false, false count anywhere. But I liked the one thing that was important for me was the use of the set. And I think this match really accomplished that the use of the really unique Halloween Havoc set was important. And I think this match really, really paid off. Um, Here's a statistic I think you'll enjoy. The live music 
when somebody is brought to the ring using a live band or live music, they're always losing. Right. Triple H, Triple H at WrestleMania's. Ronda Rousey getting played in by Joan Jett at freaking WrestleMania, and Becky Lynch walking out with the two titles. I, I'm sure I'm sh- I'm positive there's other examples out there, but Triple H at WrestleMania and that Ronda Rousey in most recent history, and now Damian Priest losing the North American Championship here. There's a curse on the NXT title right now, but there's always been a curse on live music when it comes to WWE superstars. I thought that was a bit of a fun statistic. You might want to yeah. <laughs> hold, hold on to that one. I may need to go back and take a look at just when there were live performances in NXT. I know it's a lot fewer than obviously on the granite this stage of them all at WrestleMania, but that's a great point you make because I was thinking that especially during the main event, would that trend continue in the main event? I mean, it's a great, it's a great trend and a great thing that you point out because obviously it rained true in the opener. Yeah. Rang true in the opener and then flipped that result on its head, which uh, the, that that flow I'll, I'll get to once we once we talk main event. But talking talking this match, I really enjoyed it. The size advantage, obviously, going to Priest, but the weapon craftiness and the mentality and the environment might favor and ended up did favoring this Johnny Gargano way. This by any means necessary. This I'm going to walk out with the championship win, even if I got to wear a groin cup and get my wife involved. Any underhanded tactic, any way towards victory, Johnny Gargano is going to find it. And sometimes he's going to bring other people along for the ride. He's going to bring other strategies along for the ride. I did like how he uh, how he incorporated something obviously learned from his better half. The use of a steel steps mm-hmm. by Gargano, a page right out of Candace's book on uh, on Damian Priest. A couple other funny observations in this match. I like. Uh, I didn't like it, but I noticed it. The ref was the ref mic'd up. Said like two minutes as they were going into the backstage area there, yeah. and then they were like, "Smash the giant trailer on wheels thing into Priest, and then go to break." Yeah. <laughs> like I, I just kind of keeping time on that. Just wondering what that two minutes went. That kind of did uh, did distract me. But I like the backstage chaos. I like the use of a weapon on wheels by Johnny Gargano. Yeah. After preaching into all this hate about wheels, I think uh, I think up and through this first break, I think it was a great opening match. I think it got just the time that it needed. Um, all in all, Johnny Gargano in hardcore matches. I didn't know what to expect, but I kind of I was surprised and I really enjoyed it. Right, right. And just to go back on the whole two minutes thing, I noticed that especially in the weeks right after they went to fanless, a fanless venue at Full Sail, you can hear the production commands. One minute or three, two, one, count them out to in the broadcast on USA Network. And that's something that's just kind of with the times. And you would have thought that maybe you wouldn't be able to hear that with this Capital Wrestling Center that has fans and pods. But that's a great, great pickup by you because I didn't catch that. But that, that does take you out of it to an extent if you do hear some of those production commands. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a victim of circumstances, a victim of environments. It's it's limited crowds wrestling. It's it's a safety factor first. If I pick up a few referees talking, that's that's just it is what it is. Uh, props. I like the general props all across the board. Um, I don't think I've seen a tombstone used in a match in a very, very long time, at least not one that didn't feature Kane or The Undertaker. So I think that was a nice little unique twist. Again, the uniqueness and how Halloween Havoc, the entire event felt like it stood on its own. And that was important. That's 
you know, these weekly takeovers that are going to counter program, parallel program, however you want to put it on Wednesday nights, they got to be worthwhile. And I think as many unique factors as you can throw into a matchup, like was done here with this Devils Playground North American Championship matchup, I think uh, I think it was important use. Johnny did not do it on his own, however. Peyton, are you a fan of the Scream series? Because the Ghostface Killer is live at the Capitol Wrestling Center. Yeah, well, I mean, was it David Arquette? I mean, that, that was my fir- first guess. I mean, who, who could be? What? Matthew Lillard, maybe? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love Matthew Lillard's work. He, I became a Matthew Lillard fan with uh, the live-action Scooby-Doo. Shout-out to Freddie Prince Jr., always a fan of FPJ. But, yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I love the whole scream callback, but who's underneath the mask? Who who done it? Who helped Johnny Gargano? Who done it? At first, at first glance, and just optimism, you think, okay, maybe something super evil. And Tommaso Ciampa's been wearing a lot of masks lately, right? Right? Hasn't he been wearing a lot of masks? No, no. It's not just going to be so obvious. And trust me, we will get to Tommaso Ciampa's promo. Mm-hmm. Oh, great stuff. It was somebody taller than Johnny Gargano, which does not limit the field by any means, by the way. <laughs> that just kind of doesn't knock the numbers down much. I think it, I think she's tall enough. I think this whole Indy Hartwell influencing and helping out the Garganos is, is continuing here, Peyton. It, it makes sense from a storyline standpoint. That's exactly where my mind went to. And it really solidified that thought to me with what happened in the main event later in the night. Yeah, other people I've thought of, Austin Theory, maybe that's a little weaker of a connection to the Gargano couple, if you will, than Hartwell. And then some of my awesome Twitter followers, they mentioned Tony Madra, formerly known as Brendan Vink, Elliot Sexton. I'm a big fan of six foot five. I'm sorry. Six foot five. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he would be clearly taller than Gargano, but maybe it was just the shock value of who in the heck is this ominous figure that basically gift-wrapped the NXT North American Championship to Johnny. I didn't really pay that much attention to the height differential. So perhaps that's just me being so engrossed into the moment, but I didn't really take take stock of how tall this individual was. And that may be a really, really good hint as we try to narrow down suspects. I think, uh, I think it was Indy. I like this whole trying to be in the good graces of the Gargano family and maybe keeping, keeping her really close to two people who obviously have hung and continue to hang in main event situations. No matter who Ghostface Killer is, we know they're a Gargano fan, lead pipe, and a cement tombstone later after a rough-and-tumble DDT by Johnny Gargano featuring that very wheel, which let's let's go back to that damn wheel for a second because I'm going to agree with you. That Gargano-Candice LeRae segment at their table where they each spun it, I'm with you. I thought it was going to be a Price is Right sort of situation where they get to decide their own fate and price and all that while Shotzi just kind of stood there ominously or, you know, maybe Gargano goes to reach for the thing and then pulls his hand back and then really psychs himself up to spin the thing. I think there could have been a couple extra seconds of good TV there. So yeah, just uh, opportunity, I would say. And even maybe, especially when Loray would spin the wheel, Blackheart stops it. Oh, I'm sorry. You have boiler room brawl, you know, knocks it down with her elbow, stops the wheel from continuing its motion. I think those could have been some very great comedic moments and 
I mean, I'm all for those little, very subtle character development that we see emotion, indecision, comedy with a character. And I'm with you. It could have, it would have probably been 30 seconds each, would have took up a minute of time on USA Network, but it really would have added something for the audience. I think when comedy is done right in wrestling, when it can add, when it can add to a character's, like, give you bigger insight to them, it's, it's necessary. I don't think it's good for, just for the sake of doing it. Long scheme of things, we have the first ever two-time North American champion in one Johnny Gargano after that cement tombstone to the back of Priest's neck, tippy-top tumble off that set. Again, love the use of the set. Um, Johnny Johnny two-time, Johnny champion, does this reign actually go somewhere? Johnny Gargano's hold on a championship reign as a babyface. Not exactly the best days as far as numbers. I'm just going to take a shot here, and you can uh, you can adjust these numbers if you want. But I think between his two title reigns, he absolutely has less than 90 days with a piece of championship gold. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I, I honestly am such a big dork. I actually have a spreadsheet with all my statistics. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can tell you legitimately Johnny Gargano's NXT North American title reign was – like a weekend because he lost the Velveteen Dream at I want to say an access match um, after NXT Takeover Phoenix. I'm not trying to get the facts wrong, but it was legitimately very short. And then on tape delay, it was literally uh, soon. I guess it would be under a month is what I'm recalling. And then obviously Cole took the belt off him at the next NXT Takeover after Gargano won it in New York. So yes. I would say that's a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good numbers that you're throwing out there. It makes sense. It makes sense when I'm running it through my mind right now. Yeah, I think heel Johnny Gargano definitely has a shot at a, at a longer title run. I think the Johnny Gargano way is going to help him secure that title for way longer than he held on to his first run as North American champion, or of course his surprisingly short NXT championship reign. Uh, next here in my. He really needed to win this match. Oh, absolutely. This was a must-win situation. Yeah, he had lost his last five title matches. I'm talking about since he introduced the Johnny Gargano way. He obviously loses to Keith Lee. Then he loses in a triple threat with Balor and Lee. Then he loses the um, to Priest in the ladder match. Priest would go on to win, I should say. You have Super Tuesday thrown in there. And then the one-on-one match, with which Priest... That's five matches since you introduced this new Gargano heel gimmick. This was a must-win, as you're indicating. I'm not sure what you could have really done with his character if he would have lost. And maybe I'm thinking too much into the hypotheticals, but must-win in every sense of that word and or phrase, I should say. I mean, wow. It, it really could have ruined this gimmick in a very short amount of time if he would have literally lost six matches in a row since the Johnny Gargano way was introduced. I'm with you on that. The Johnny Gargano heel persona has been a lot of complaints. Now it's time to be over the top and braggadocious about being North American champion. I think you can only secure that whole, oh, I hate this and this sucks and who broke my TV sort of thing for for only such a uh, such a short amount of time. So I'm happy to see Johnny Gargano at the top. What does the Johnny Gargano way to holding a championship entail? I'm definitely along for that ride. Another ride I'm along for, and I want to push this back a little bit because it's such a big deal to me. Pat McAfee's been freaking killing it as a professional wrestler. 
And this whole stable, I got a name for it that I'm really hoping you're going to like, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. I want to cover Cruiserweight action first, and then Pat McAfee, and then jump into the Haunted House. And then, of course, end things with the incredible, the best division in pro wrestling, the NXT Women's Division. Uh, cancel the cruise. Just like Pat McAfee does. That's undisputed. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying that as an undisputed era fan. I mean, geez, McAfee, put some respect on those boys' names. Uh, the, who, would, who would think of all the positions to get heat? It would be the punter. I've seen uh, uh, no, I've seen uh, I've seen Richard Sherman get his fair share of heat on an NFL microphone, but switching transition like that, I mean, Mc, McAfee's freaking killing it. Let's talk about somebody else killing his opponents lately through, of course, somebody else receiving a lot of help from the outside. Santos Escobar leading the Legado del Fantasma, the Fantasma Cartel with the Cruiserweights Championship, taking on LGBTQ community hero and quite talented professional wrestler Jake Atlas, formerly of Evolve. The Evolve talent influxing into NXT right now has me hyped. Jake Atlas has been on my radar since that Cruiserweight tournament and his interactions and his natural likability. Jake Atlas really stands out to me as just that kind of, he doesn't need to try too hard and you're like, that kid has something He's something special. He just seems like a really approachable human being. The aggression came out here against Santos Escobar. The way that Phantasma has been pushing the likes of Swerve and Jake Atlas and most recently Ashante, Ashante the Adonis. I hope I have that correctly. Yeah, Tahuti Miles. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's how you say his new name. NXT, some of these up-and-coming talents, a Tahuti Miles, we even look at Denzel Desjournet, who I – not going to lie, I cannot actually recall his new name off the top of my head. No, I um, think that was way too good of a name for them to change it too, man. Well, I think that exactly would have been awesome. a one. Uh, the thing that bothers me, not to go on a tangent, Denzel Desjournet is a decorated Division One NCAA wrestler at Appalachian State, and you just changed his name. I mean, you could at least took away his first name. Shots fired from me across the bow, but just call him Desjournet. At least you would have kept some type of element of what he's accomplished in the the amateur wrestling slash combat sports scene. Yeah, I'm kind of hot about, uh, I guess, what's his new name? Riddle? I mean, riddle me oh, this. Boy. Why did we go? Whatever. I, I don't know why first or last names or just th- – why, why can't people keep things? Um Anyway, I, I, wanted, I want to jump off that, uh, that that's topic. A, that's, that's a tangent from me. My bad. We could we could we could sit here and make Batman jokes about the new Riddle name all day, and we could also go into some less than admirable statistics about one Matt Riddle. But that's for uh, that's for court of public dis- public opinion at this point to decide. Something that's not up for debate at this point is Santos Escobar's reign as cruiserweight championship has been a success. I like the use of all arounds. I like the loaded lucha mask. I think a loaded piece of attire of equipment is such a simple gimmick to pull off. And I think a really in shape heel faction like these three boys are can really carry with something so simple. And especially considering the fact that we're luchadors, we don't wear masks, but we still respect the tradition. We're going to use that tradition as we see fit. We're going to put a lead plate and headbutt you with it. I think it's a great weapon. I think Jake Atlas is on his way to some up-and-coming really big wins in that division. But I don't think 
I don't know who's going to be the one to take it away from Santos Escobar now that Swerve has lost so consistently. It kind of presents the Johnny Gargano problem that you and I just discussed. How many title shots can he get before we start to lose interest? Is it going to take this big radical change? I don't think so. I don't want that for Swerve. Swerve has the baby face, and I'm confident in the Swerve of confidence that he can eventually reach the top of the mountain. It might not just be against Santos Escobar. I think the Legado del Fantasma reign continues for a little while longer, and I think they really build on this use of the numbers and the loaded weapons situation. I, I completely agree. I, I don't really want to see a change from Isaiah Swerve Scott. I I wish I had the swagger of Isaiah Swerve Scott. When I grow up, I want to be just like Isaiah Swerve Scott. So why would you change his character to try to put a round peg in a squared hole? You just wouldn't do that. So the Santos Escobar reign, as you're insinuating, could go on for a little while, and maybe it's going to take, I don't, I'm not sure, maybe someone has to drop weight, unquote, down to 205 pounds. Maybe someone rises up. Maybe some of the new e, um, you know, talent from Evolve comes over, and they make ways. Someone like a Kurt Stallion, who I'm really impressed with and glad that he's getting some TV time um, over on 205 Live. So there's a lot to like with the Cruiserweight division. It's just... I'm not sure. It, I, I think back at the days of the cruiserweight division that really resonated with me and with, with Drew Gulak as soon as, I guess, it would have been last year. And the Santos Escobar and his faction, it, it's great, great stuff, but it's really going to have to take a title contender similar to what Gulak had with Umberto Carrillo and their relationship that they had on the side a little bit before Gulak won the title, if my memory recollects. It's going to have to take some type of a rivalry to really elevate Santos Escobar and make this title reign memorable, in my opinion. I'm not trying to be harsh because he's done a wonderful job, but I'm just yearning for a little bit more. I think I think the Cruiserweight division is in a pretty interesting position right now, especially with the return of NXT UK division. And I'm let's this 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 show takes personal matters out of things. I like Jordan Devlin between the ropes. I think him and Santos are gonna have a great match when the time comes to it. I'm, of course, going to be rooting for Escobar to keep that stranglehold on the title and really show what Legado del Fantasma will do and can do to make sure that he stays champion. I think that brotherhood and that bond is is really important in telling the story about this is our guy, this is our champion, this is our leader. We're going to have his back, even if it means taking out an imposter champion. Uh yeah, I don't know who's building up. I like that you mentioned Kurt Stallion in the Cruiserweight division because now I got to jump back on the 205 horse because I was a big fan of Kurt Stallion in, uh, in, his, in his Evolve days. I've seen him have a couple really good matches. Um, oh, here's something. we let's, let's jump into women's action really quickly, really, really fast because I've already kind of spoke my piece on it and I want somebody else's thoughts on it. Ember Moon returns to NXT. Ember Moon gets promo time in between the ropes. Bad idea. Ember Moon gets matches. Good idea. Ember Moon gets pre-recorded segments to show her promos. Much better idea. I think that's the sweet spot for her. What are your thoughts on Ember Moon? I'm glad she's back. She's too talented to leave off of television. I'm not really sure what her gimmick is, and maybe I'm thinking a little too much inside of baseball, but is she? Uh, is this kind of like Mad Max, uh, where she has the... She has looks like a, a primate skull that's you know on her on her gear uh, on one of her um, shoulder pads. I mean, I, I'm not really sure. It, it's certainly a different gimmick to 
for lack of a better description, the moon child she was in NXT when she ended up winning the championship and then eventually losing it to Shayna Baszler. I, I guess I just don't really know what her character is at this time. And with a very stacked NXT women's division, it, it needs to stand out. I'm sure she's going to get together. Obviously, she's just been back on television for a couple weeks. That's a grace period to familiarize for me as the fan to familiarize myself with what her motives are. And clearly she has an NXT championship reign in her mind. The women's division though, Tony storm. Now, now we see, I mean, Rhea Ripley, I'm really loving, I'm really getting into this Rhea Ripley road to redemption story. I wanted to see it as soon as she lost to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. Now I'm getting invested. Now I am ready for her to, challenge for the title once more, maybe even have a second reign after it lost so much so much luster uh, after beating Baszler back in December of last year. But with Moon, I, I got to see something. I, I'm not sure what it is. I know I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. I'm trying to pinpoint what is missing, but I know as talented as Ember Moon is, she's going to figure it out. And then I'm going to be just as invested in Ember Moon's redemption if you will to get back and have a second nxt championship title reign as i am with rhea ripley i think it's the delivery i think you're right i think there's some unclear character characteristics of the character i think her gimmick right now is i'm ember moon and i bought a motorcycle I'm not, <laughs> I'm not seeing too much of a change from the moon child which great great way to put it i, I she's always got great entrance attire the shoulder stuff is is cool, but I think Ember's Law was crummy. I like a good champion. I like a good outside of the title picture rivalry. I think her and Dakota Kai are going to give us those important matches. Um, we'll close the show with Rhea Raquel and Io Shirai, Candice LeRae. Let's talk about Pat McAfee. Let's talk about the former punter of the Indianapolis freaking Colts becoming the most entertaining heel on pro wrestling television, Peyton. And that's undisputed. That's undisputed. That's undisputed. <laughs> He's mocking people like a high school bully, and I'm fully invested. Like, this, guy, has, that's this guy just has to ooze that jock asshole personality the entire time. And he's great at it. I love the promo. I love how he addressed the situation. Yeah, I hired Ridge Holland. He's a smaller, younger, more handsome version, possibly more handsome version than me. That's not something I noticed at first, but then he said it. I couldn't get it out of my head. That's thank you for that. Number two. Yeah, it, I bought the guy a Mercedes. I didn't just hand the guy a bag of cash with some undisclosed, you know, amount in it. I bought the guy a car. The range of Mercedes prices are all over the place. That kind of leaves things open for interpretation. Did he buy him a six-figure car just to take out Adam Cole? What kind of investment is that? It was obviously a bad investment because he owns up to that and says, yeah, I messed up there, but I didn't mess up here. I brought in this ruthless-ass tag team behind me, two guys who have been aching and dying for a shot. They don't want money. They just want violence. Yeah, they probably got some money and some new suits along the way, but the important message there was only working is there to kick ass, and it doesn't matter who puts him up to kicking some ass. He's going to do it. Danny Birch, a chiseled veteran who has had so many shots at NXT Championship Gold and finally gets that tag team title around his shoulder. I love how this is going. I love that whole promo. Even before this next person is added to the party, Peyton, these three boys, and I'm going to give you that faction name right now, and I want your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Punting, punching, and pints. I love it. 
I love that. I love the. I, I'm. I am a sucker for alliterations. That is something you could throw on a T-shirt. Because look at Pat McAfee's merch that he sells himself for the brand. It may seem simple with the words elements, but you add some cool designs for McAfee. I think the A in brand is a holder. Um, you you could do a lot with that. I, I really love that name that you got for him. It's great. All right. I was workshopping that for a couple hours ever since uh, since NXT ended last night. I love this faction, man. Oni, Oni Lorcan, I could sit here and say how long I've been an Oni Lorcan fan. Him and Danny Burch's rivalry, I was, you know, usually regretful, but I was flipping through Facebook memories. And I remember just posting something thinking like, man, these this is this is a team to watch. And that was from 2017. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe these guys have been a tag team for so long. I remember sitting there watching them have these epic singles matches against each other to become a team. Now they're part of a faction. They just keep on growing. I'm I mean, are they the most exciting looking guys in the world? No. Are you going to put them on the face of a marquee program? No, probably not. But they're ass kickers. Mm-hmm. And a big ass guy like Pat McAfee has guys who are just smaller than him, but have that same mean ass look that he has those two henchmen sort of go get them boys sort of. That's what they feel like to me surrounding themselves with Pat Undisputed Era would continue to take issue with this, though, and uh, Kyle O'Reilly would come and stand up for his boys. No air guitar playing. We're all serious now from KOR. You got Roddy Strong taken out of commission. We got Bobby Fish out of commission or off at some stupid QAnon meeting, but we're not going to get into politics here. Um, And we have an unexpected return to NXT in the form of the longest reigning United Kingdom champion of all time in Pete Dunne. Just until the entrance, your first words as soon as Pete Dunne's music hit. I'm pumped. I, I know that's not a word, but I am literally popping. I'm excited because so many returns, and I'm not trying to blame Dirt Sheets, but so many returns are really spoiled ahead of time, especially in this day of age with so many, you can call them Dirt Sheets, I call them wrestling reporters who do so great of jobs on the beat. So the fact that this didn't leak out, I, I was ecstatic because I don't get too many of those moments anymore these days, it seems. So Pete Dunne, while he may not be an edge or someone of that type of caliber where the whole mainstream internet wrestling community is going to get all up in arms and excited that someone has returned, I am so glad in this moment, in this moment, to see Pete Dunne. And it appears as though he's going to side with Kyle O'Reilly. At that very moment, steel chairs equipped until, until Pete Dunne remembered just who the heck he was alongside with. Pete Dunne in the Undisputed Era, you think maybe just for a moment, was there some Pete Dunne only working beef that I missed? Does Pete Dunne have something like really going back with Danny Burch, maybe in the UK wrestling scheme? Is there some rivalry there? No. It's just Pete getting the jump on the Undisputed Era. It's just the Bruiserweight being the freaking Bruiserweight, slugging Kyle O'Reilly with the steel chair. Pat McAfee proving that he's brains as much as he is money right now. All the hired guns. You have Oni Lorcan, Danny Burch, and now the Bruiserweight Pete Dunne. That's, that's an army. Those are three tough dudes you can surround yourself with. This is probably preemptive, but the writing is on the walls. Peyton, this is war games territory. These guys are going to war. It's going to happen. 
Do you think Pat McAfee is ready for that type of stipulation? No, I'm not trying to cast dispersions to Pat McAfee because I was so impressed with his performance against Adam Cole. He delivered in every sense of the word. He actually proved a celebrity, if unquote, a celebrity guest match can actually be something that is pro wrestling. This isn't Lawrence Taylor at WrestleMania. This isn't some, this isn't Colin Jost and Michael Che at WrestleMania in the Battle Royale. This is actually legitimate professional wrestling. And so I give Pat McAfee all the credit in the world, but you think he's ready for war games? If that's the road we go down, because that is, I'm, I'm not trying to sound cliche, that is a very significant type of stipulation, and you really have to be ready for that both mentally and physically, for that type of abuse. I think the name value is there. I think you put Pat McAfee and War Games next to each other, that's going to get people's eyes on it. But the stipulation has such a long lineage. People aren't going to be going in there in their second match. I don't know if I like that concept about it. I think of war games, I think, you know, people who are legends at this point, like the Arn Andersons of the world and, you know, the Four Horsemen. And when, you know, these were bloody old school cage matches, we're going to get the Undisputed Era in there again. Is it going to be as significant of a rivalry as they have had before? I think the story's building in that way. But the real question there is exactly it. Is McAfee ready for this environment? Can you jump from straight up pro wrestling match to something with two rings in it and a steel divider and a cage surrounding it? And what kind of high risks is McAfee going to be willing to willing to take? And how many crazy off the cage bumps is that dude going to take? And is, you know, how many other outside X factors of a guy brand new to the business are going to come into play when such an environment is introduced? I think it might be heading that way, but like you said, is it the smartest of roots? I think I think it might just be a matter of Undisputed Ever trying to get payback. I think the health and concern of Pat McAfee might not be at the top of everybody's list, but it's definitely worth noting how he can perform in such a in such an environment. I think regular straight up, he did great in the ring. I think it was a matter of telling a story with selling his you know, the way he sold, I thought was was great. A guy that a guy that big being able to tell a story about his about his leg, he's never had to do that before. And the fact that he was able to do it so impressively, that's something that really stood out to me as Pat McAfee continues this road in uh in professional wrestling. And I'm all I'm all for it. I think uh I think he's got the acting and audio delivery chops. I've kind of known that for a long time. You as a sports guy, I'm sure you've uh you've come across his work as well. He does fantastic work. I listen to his radio show every day. And that, that's been my point of conflict. I actually have, have a close friend of mine who has been a diehard Roman Reigns fan, but during the SmackDown run, which he is a heel and taking out, obviously, family in the form of Jay Uso, Jay and Jimmy Uso, for that matter, after the last pay-per-view, he has been unable to like Roman Reigns, even though he knows Roman Reigns is a great person. I mean, he's overcome leukemia. That is what I'm struggling with here with Pat McAfee because when he's not talking wrestling, he's actually a really – he seems like a dude you'd like to have a couple beers with. Kind of, kind of like Oni Lorcan, you know, or, or Danny or Danny Burch, and that's why they make such a, a good trio at this moment in you time. Could see, you can see, see these guys drinking like six beers apiece, getting into a fight, and then drinking six more. Yeah, and honestly, probably buying me a couple. I mean, they're those type of guys, and 
as a person, I like Pat McAfee. His character in NXT is the opposite of the type of person he portrays himself to be on his radio show. And, and as a daily Pat McAfee show listener, that has been my uh, my my sword here that I'm going to try not to die on. <laughs> Underst- understandable. Remember, you can uh, you could separate the artist from their work over here and their work over here. So you might have to uh, you might have to make some compromises. You got to keep your undisputed era fandom, but you got to keep you got to be selective about your Pat McAfee fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no there's no antivirus to keep McAfee out of NXT though. The man is so, <laughs> the man is solidly here and. Uh, completely ready for this continuation of the program with the undisputed era i like the main message and uh we continue on from from uh from this point but i think the real message the thesis statement if you will of his promo was he didn't get his due respect after doing all of this impressive work that we've been talking about he didn't get a handshake in the middle of the ring adam cole didn't help him up and you know raise his hand and you know give him the old rock to roman reigns in philadelphia moment or Anything like that, and that's a thorn in the side that's kind of understandable, but the way the guy is delivering it, I still dislike him. He's able to take such a logical message of, I didn't get my due respect, so I'm still pissed off about it, but still make me be like, dude, get the hell out of here. Nobody, like, we didn't respect you for a reason. I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of great work being done on on this, and I could not be happier to see McAfee continue. Well, some of the great work, and this was something we were talking about before the show, and I actually have a timeline here if you want to go through it, is how great is the long-term storytelling of Dunn taking out Kyle O'Reilly in the center of the ring at Halloween Havoc. That is just some superb long-term storytelling. I have a timeline here if you'd oblige me. Oh, boy. Do we have a timeline of Pete Dara's history with the Undisputed Era on deck? I, I do. This is a UFP show exclusive here, folks. I don't think any other, well, there's no other longest reigning independently produced NXT podcast available. This is the right one. And this is where you're going to get all these crazy stats. Peyton hit me. The only moment that's really coming to mind and obviously stands out with me is the Roderick Strong moment in the Dusty Rhodes Classic. Let's talk about some other instances that Pete Dunne has crossed roads with, uh, with the Undisputed Era. Oh, most certainly. And you go with that. So you're talking early 2018. When Pete Dunne and Roger Strong, I think their match was actually for the now NXT, then WWE United Kingdom Championship. Dunne beats Strong. They form this mutual respect and they find they form a team for the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic, as you're alluding to. Of course, you mentioned the breakup of that team, which is April 7, 2018, NXT TakeOver New Orleans. And we all remember that infamous moment where Roger Strong pledges his allegiance to Undisputed Era and gift wraps the belt to Adam Cole, who had competed earlier in the night in the NXT, the inaugural NXT North American Championship match, but my, one of my favorite matches of all time, I just have to throw in there. But, I mean, we need to go ahead when we think about this long-term storytelling and how the storyline progressed. Earlier this year, we had a champion versus champion winner-take-all match at the NXT Great American Bash, as between Adam Cole and Keith Lee, but... As you and I both know, this is not the first time there was a champion versus champion match in which both titles were on the line. Back September 19, 2018, so we're still the same year in which Strong turned on Dunn at TakeOver New Orleans, you had Ricochet versus Dunn. Dunn, NXT UK champion, and then Ricochet, NXT North American champion, 
Winner was going to take both belts. And who comes in and breaks up the match? A match that was very great. I think it actually went near 20 minutes, maybe even over 20 minutes in time. Undisputed Era. They attack Pete Dunne. They attack Ricochet. And that sets up, a couple weeks later, Adam Cole gets a championship opportunity with Dunne and against Ricochet, who was the title holder at the time. That was actually in October. And then we all know about War Games later on that year. But... Think about last year. I mean, I'm sure you remember some of these moments last year, which Pete Dunne was getting into it with Undisputed Era. I mean, I, I don't want to go on a diatribe here, but, I mean, there's two instances that really resonate with me. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm sure you know them. Pete Dunne and Undisputed Era last year. As recently as, as, recently as last year? Yeah. See, as far as Undisputed Era colliding with NXT UK, I immediately go to their recents with Imperium. So you're going to have to refresh my memory. Hey, no problem. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, bud. Because think about this. NXT TakeOver Toronto in August of last year. It would have been August 10th specifically. Pete Dunne is challenging Velveteen Dream and Roderick Strong for the North American Championship. And then Dunne, I believe, takes the pin there because eventually we do get Strong beating Velveteen Dream Weeks later, on one of the first episodes, I believe the first episode, of NXT on USA Network. And then we can even fast forward to Survivor Series, in which Dunn loses to Adam Cole for the NXT Championship. So there's a lot of just intricate little little chances in which Dunn, in, in the storyline that I've, the timeline I've constructed, Dunn has basically had so many championship opportunities ripped away from him. By, by Undisputed Era. He could have been tag team champions with Strong. No, that doesn't happen. He could have became NXT North American champion, taking it from Ricochet. Nope. Undisputed Era comes in and barges in, DQs the match. Then he loses in a triple threat in which Adam Cole is there. And, of course, he has a triple threat against Velveteen Dream and Strong. Strong ends up going to, I should say, Strong ends up beating Velveteen Dream weeks later after NXT TakeOver Toronto in 2019. And... The latest instance I can recall is Pete Dunne losing to Adam Cole for the NXT Championship at Survivor Series. It's a lot of information unpacked, I'm sure. I, I mean, it very much interests me because it goes back to what NXT is known for. That's the long-term storytelling. I think Dunne turning on Kyle O'Reilly, or at least in that split second where you're thinking, wait, is Dunne and O'Reilly going to gain forces here to go up against the McAfee faction? I, I think that's just what makes NXT so great when you think about it. Okay, I'm going to step off the soapbox here. I loved going back. Survivor Series came to me mid-rant, but I'm glad you finished that up and went before that because I forgot about the triple threat situation with uh, with VD and Roderick Strong. I'm trying not to say that, that dude's full name on the show as, as of late. So the VD as another one with, with multiple multiple history with, uh, with the Undisputed Era. So... Dunn versus Cole at Survivor Series. Man, what a match. What a match that was if we could just sidebar on, on that for a second. Un, unbelievable stuff. So there is no shortness of reasons why Pete Dunn would want to join McAfee and Birch and Lorcan and stand up to the Undisputed Era. Peyton, thanks for the numbers and the dates and the specificness because I would not be able to pull that out myself. This just adds to the stakes, and that's why we watch pro wrestling, for stories and stakes, and that's what we got with this, with this faction versus faction warfare that appears to be shaping up. 
Um, something else that's kind of been taking the world of pro wrestling by storm lately is cinematic matches and these cinematic fight scenes that have been occurring. And this one was no exception. Haunted House of Horror. Cameron Grimes versus Dexter Loomis. The shape-up of this rivalry has been a rivalry of very little words. Well, at, at least of one side of the equation. Cameron Grimes will talk to anybody with a set of ears on. Well, anybody with one ear, anybody with a microphone, anybody standing next to him, anybody who doesn't even seem to be interested in talking to him, Cameron Grimes is ranting to. Um, I think Cameron Grimes deserves at least some sort of independent, uh, that could be one of my friends agreeing with me. No. Um, I think he deserves at least some sort of independent film award or an Oscar for this incredible performance in a horror film <laughs> after this. I really... The cinematic stuff has been a real mixed bag with me. I've really enjoyed some parts. I felt like, okay, this has been really good, but it's going on a little bit long. I think, okay, this kind of blew me away, and why is this happening? This match, I felt kind of in that same middle ground. I like that it was broken up in two parts. I think that really did it for me. I think it was more digestible that way. And also the format being different, I think, was cool, too. I like that one side was out where the Boneyard match was filmed. At least that's that's probably just a speculation. I'm sure it could be the same exact site, but that's the vibe I was getting. Um, Grimes' acting chops, he's got it. Dexter Loom is playing a creepy, psycho killer straight out of The Shining meets Michael Myers. I think he nailed it. Um, I like the offense. I like the editing. I liked the involvement of zombies at this entire event. I think this was that match that we needed that like, man, this really put that seal of uniqueness on Halloween Havoc. If we don't see this outside of this event, it's absolutely perfect. This is that standalone moment that made Halloween Havoc, Halloween Havoc, in my opinion. Exactly. I think if you look back, obviously one final beat between Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano, there's no way that was supposed to be a cinematic match. It was supposed to take place. NXT TakeOver Tampa at the time. So, okay, I guess we can put an asterisk next to that in terms of a match that was was cinematic capabilities really necessary for the one final beat? Okay. Then NXT TakeOver in your house between Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream. I like the backlot brawl, but okay, well, why are we doing this? In your house, w wouldn't it be better if maybe they're fighting within a literal house? I, I don't know. But going back to your point, this match, this haunted house of terror tilt, it was appropriate. It was appropriate. It fit the theme of Halloween Havoc. Cameron Grimes, he is so over the top, and it fit this vibe, him being just a chicken, for lack of a better word. Dexter Loomis being this creepy figure that he is always so great at being. It, it just fit the theme of the event. And hopefully they don't really overdo cinematic matches going forward because now we're up to three. We're up to three since April, three in 2020. And that's just NXT. Exactly. We're up to three just NXT. Exactly. Can't be jumping the shark on this sort of thing, pandemic era or not. Right. And your memory may be a little better than mine, but I can't recall a cinematic match before 2020. So you're saying... You just took 2012 through 2019 and had no cinematic matches that I can re recollect. 
and then you just had three since April. Let's pump the brakes a little bit and make sure that you use it appropriately, as was the case for this haunted house of terror match at Halloween Havoc. I think it was definitely used appropriately here. I could not imagine something like this being done in a live television format. I think it would have just been too sloppy and uh, nah, I, I don't think it would have worked there. I think this should be that, okay, cinematic matches can take a rest for a little while. We nailed it here. We did it with the first part. We brought that live presence with the second part. We found that sweet spot between, okay, we got the incredible visuals for TV, we got the in-ring live action, and we got Dexter Loomis over, and we continue to keep Cameron Grimes over. The being over the top is what is getting him so over and to the moon and that far elevated. And everybody from that breakout tournament has really, really been used to, I think, their max capacity or at least making some really nice strides towards importance. Um, somebody else I haven't really gotten a chance to talk to, but I figured since we're kind of in that ballpark of Cameron Grimes and Dexter Loomis, I think Bronson Reed is another standout talent that we could sit here and definitely talk about if you got any thoughts on him. I really love the, uh, the haunted, haunted House of Horror, or is it Haunted House of Terror? What, what am I supposed to be saying here? <laughs> I'm going with haunted house. I'm going with haunted house of horror for the sake of alliteration and you knowing the theme of my show. <laughs> I think hey, we'll go with that, man. This is. I your... think it's. I think it's interchangeable too. Um, go, going back to Bronson Reed, just for a quick hit. Absolutely. When you were asking earlier, what do I think this second NXT North American Championship reign for Johnny Gargano? What will it look like? How long will it go? Dexter Loomis. I know he is not everyone's flavor of ice cream or whatever you want to call it. I know he doesn't necessarily, I suppose, I hold him in probably a higher regard than most. I think he's probably ready for a championship. He doesn't need a championship. He's like Bray Wyatt. He's like the Fiend. He doesn't need a championship. He can just be creepy and you don't really know what he's thinking. I guess Sometimes that. you need that ominous figure that just doesn't care about titles. Yeah, I, I agree. So he, he fits into that blend. Bronson Reed you got to keep on pushing him in the right direction if you want him to pan out because he really peaked in that ladder match in the lead-up to the ladder match. He beat Damian Priest in a one-on-one -on -one match before NXT TakeOver 30. you got to keep on pushing Reed if you want him to be a player in any championship division. So I'm looking, and then Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes, I think he could be an NXT North American champion. So, But you can't sacrifice Gargano in this Johnny Gargano way because then it'd be detrimental for his character. So I think that's what makes NXT. I don't like to use the word special because I consider it a little generic, but I do consider this situation in which NXT and the title pictures, I consider it very unique because NXT creative can go in a lot, a lot of different ways with any championship. They can go in a lot of different ways for the NXT Women's Championship. They can go in a lot of different ways with the NXT champion, Finn Balor. Who, who will challenge Finn Balor once he is healthy? And then, of course, the NXT North American Championship. So I really like that it's not, it's not predictable. And I thought NXT at the early parts of this year was very, very predictable. I mean, so predictable that I had convinced myself that VD was going to beat Adam Cole because if you're going to give him enough opportunities, just like we saw at Hell in a Cell between Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre, the challenger is going He's to win. He's going to pull the freaking trigger, right? Exactly. And yeah. 
as an Adam Cole fan, and even to break character, um, break Adam or separate Adam Cole from the person, I'm a big Austin Jenkins fan. I love his Twitch channel, Chugs. I, I Austin Jenkins seems like a great guy. Adam Cole is a great wrestler, and I will support that man to the end of the earth. I'm glad that he ended up retaining, but I do. There's a lot of different ways that any of these championships can go. I think that from a viewer standpoint, from an audio standpoint, that's intriguing to me because you don't know when the trigger is going to be pulled on any of these challengers. I like I like that you spoke to the uniqueness of the championship pictures in NXT because I've spoken about the NXT North American Championship division as that Hoss fight division. So now you got Johnny Gargano as champion there, and you got Finn Balor as the NXT heavyweight champion, but you got all these bigger dudes challenging for the North American champion, while one of the smallest heels in the business holds that title. So I think there's there's a lot to uh there's a lot to look forward to as to the championship pictures in NXT. But none more look forward to than the NXT Women's Championship, in my humble opinion. Let's close things out with two incredible matches in the women's division, one that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Takeover-worthy stage. I'm glad they got to do it at such a big event. Raquel Gonzalez versus Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley is a star, by the way, in case anybody out there needs a freaking reminder. Rhea Ripley is a star. You know that from the second she walks out on that ramp, the entire entrance, that look of confidence, the entire look of the human being. Rhea Ripley is a star. She has that it factor. It's there. I love what you brought up before, Peyton, this road of redemption since losing to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. I think she's kind of been lost in the weeds a little bit since then. You know, that sidetracked rivalry with the Robert Stone brand and Mercedes Martinez, which... If we're going to sidetrack anything in the women's division, it's going to be where the hell is Mercedes Martinez and the stupid retribution. I'm not going to get into that. You could listen to other podcasts complaining about retribution. We're talking NXT. Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez. What a freaking hoss fight. We don't see this often in the women's division. I was marking out of my seat. Is Raquel Gonzalez going to get the biggest win of her career and continue this Rhea Ripley slide down, or is Rhea Ripley going to continue her momentum? Raquel could have won this matchup. Her and Dakota Kai's relationship is not severed as far as I know. So anything could have happened here, but I was absolutely stoked that Rhea Ripley ended up winning after such a great matchup. Not only does Rhea continue to look like a star, she absolutely brought Raquel up to her level with this matchup, mm-hmm. approaching her level to this matchup. Raquel Gonzalez is, is very, she's not very green, but she's very young in terms of her wrestling career. This is a former. Yeah, I don't know how long she's, been, she's been at it. That's something I meant to research before. Well, she, she's a former NCAA or NCAA, however you want to say it, Division One basketball player, Sam Houston State, women's basketball player. And it's funny because I went to a house show last year. I believe it was in Sebring, Florida. And Gonzalez and Ripley, they have great chemistry because they're real-life friends. There was a match that I saw. I believe it was I believe it was Boa and Zia Lee versus Gonzalez and Cameron Grimes. And on the outside was Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley was just hanging out. And to me, that showed that Ripley and Gonzalez are legitimate friends. And I always find the... The wrestlers, when they are friends with one another, they have the best chemistry. Absolutely. When, when they, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it's probably something that goes without saying. And the fact that they had been friends, 
They probably work together a lot, whether they're driving from uh, Orlando to Seabrook, Florida, or Citrus Springs. They're probably talking about wrestling. They're talking about what type of moves. Gonzalez being a little younger than Ripley in terms of her wrestling development, picking Ripley's brain. And now they had a fantastic match, a match that could have stole the show if it wasn't just one of those shows that had so many memorable moments, so many memorable moments. And this match, Rocco Gonzalez is coming along very well. And once, I, I mean, we've talked about it on numerous occasions. I'm a big Gonzalez fan and a Gonzalez guy, if you will. And eventually, when NXT creative gets the idea that she is now a world title threat, if she wins the belt, Who's going to beat her because she's that imposing of a figure? And she's only getting better in terms of the wrestling aspects. I mean, only getting better. Wonderful performance by her and Ripley last, last night. I want to see this match again, and I do want to see it for the NXT Women's Championship somewhere somewhere down the line. Uh, I don't know what else you can really say other than try and put the pieces together of what's next for, for Rhea Ripley. I mean, Io Shirai is going to be looking for new contenders. I know we haven't talked about that match yet. But does Rhea versus Io come back into that picture? Are we getting some multi-woman situations for that title because of how stacked with talent this division is? I think that the sky is the limit for, for both these women at this point in time. Raquel Gonzalez continuing to be the diesel for Dakota Kai's Shawn Michaels. I want to see how that comes up in the Ember Moon rivalry. I want to see Raquel take an eclipse because I think she's just the right height for Ember Moon to really land it off the top rope and really grab her head and slam it on the way down. I think there's a lot that can be done with her selling the Eclipse. So I'm excited to see what she does next. Rhea Ripley continuing to just blast off. And uh, let's let's see, let's see where this division goes, man. I mean, I'm not going to smack talk the other channel that often, but women's division is just night and day between what we're getting on Wednesday evenings with professional wrestlers. Um, no more thoughts from me on that match. Big win for Rhea Ripley. I think this deserves to be, it was either going to be a main event on NXT television, or it was going to be featured on a takeover card. I think being on a main, a main stage, big time event like Halloween Havoc was just the right place for Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez. Before we talk about the last match of the evening, we need to talk about this Tommaso Ciampa promo, my friend. We need to talk about how daddy's home. We need to talk about how daddy's looking freaking jacked out of his freaking. I, I, I don't have anything big enough in this room that I'm sitting in that could possibly compare to the size of his traps right now. Tommaso Ciampa looks great. He's speaking with the venom that we know he's capable of speaking with. He knows what his NXT looks like, and he's sick of it not looking like the environment that he knows Tommaso Ciampa is going to go on the warpath. It's going to start by beating the absolute piss out of the VD. I can't wait to see what Tommaso Ciampa does next. I don't know what's, I don't know what character alignment they're supposed to be going with them, but right now I'm rooting for him and the mask looks awesome. Probably a weird way to end that point, but I really need to drive that home. It looks like old school Slipknot. I love Tommaso Ciampa's look right now from head to toe. I have to think he's a Sicilian psychopath that he was on the independent scene. I mean, that... We had Blackheart. We had Tommaso Ciampa face with DIY. This has to be the Sicilian psychopath, in my opinion, that we're getting with Ciampa. I am concerned with what NXT creative is going to do with Ciampa. And 
maybe again, I know I use this term a lot. Maybe I'm thinking a little too inside of baseball, but that's often where my mind goes to when I think about why storylines are structured the way they are. And as much as I commend the way that creative has done with Rhea Ripley, because you mentioned it, she was stuck in the weeds. And I was like, what did you just do to this character? Because in the lead up to Charlotte Flair, Ripley lost her luster. Her title reign became very vanilla, in my opinion. And then she loses to Flair. She takes the pinfall at NXT TakeOver In Your House. And you're thinking, what the heck is going on? It was so simple. She loses to Flair. She gets the belt back. Then you can go Shirai to Ripley. That was my mentality. And now we see Champa. And I'm wondering if we're stuck in that Bianca Belair phase. Because in, in NXT, I felt like Bianca Belair had a lot of false starts. Okay, we're going to have her beat some enhancement talent. We're going to build her up. And then she's going to lose to Shayna Baszler at NXT TakeOver Phoenix. Now, I think that was the right decision. She loses to Shayna Baszler to take over twice. Exactly. Even exactly. in a fatal four-way situation where she didn't have to take the loss. I took the loss. That's the one that most upset me. Exactly, my friend. Exactly. And I'm getting very concerned because when I fell in love with this brand, although I, I watched it during the Seth Rollins days, and then Adrian Neville, I think his title reign was something very – very special because he had so many title defenses. Actually, Adam Cole broke that record with his title reign that ended earlier this year. I'm Champa, Cole, Gargano, but DIY specifically Champa and Gargano. That was the tandem I fell in love with. We talked about it uh, in the aftermath of uh, in the aftermath of one final beat that you were so kind enough to have me on this wonderful program. And now I'm getting very very worried that Champa because why didn't he win at NXT Takeover Portland? Okay, I guess we're gonna have. We have to finish up one final beat, but that could have been for the title. I mean, it could have been. Maybe you don't want to have the Johnny Gargano away, take the NXT Championship so soon. And now he was off a bunch of takeovers. Cross basically mercs him. Cross mercs him in a squash match, a squash match that I'll consider. And and now what are we doing? Tommaso Ciampa match, that 100% was a squash. <laughs> what, what are we doing with Tommaso Ciampa? Because I'm getting concerned because he is very worthy of getting back Goldie. He, he is. Maybe the face, maybe him getting back Goldie as a face wasn't the right decision. There, that's above my pay grade. But, man, he delivers with every promo. And this feels very much like a promo in the lead-up to NXT TakeOver Portland, in which I thought, Champa's going to beat Cole. He's going to beat him, period. And now we're back here. He's going to face Velveteen Dream. I think it's almost a no-brainer that he'll beat Velveteen Dream. But then what? Then what? He, he's... He doesn't have a signature win this year. I actually tweeted about it a couple weeks ago. He's working with a lot of young talent. He's working with Jake Atlas twice. He's working with Austin Theory. Austin Theory's worked with a lot of NXT veterans when you think of Gargano, Champa, well, and Tyler Breeze. His whole gimmick recently was he loses the big-name talents. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm really worried about Champa. He, he delivered with this promo. I didn't mean to get on another ramp, but Tommaso Champa. He's worthy of a title around his waist. He is worthy of very significant non-title programs. And him getting hit with a cast, I uh, okay, I've never been hit by a cast. I'm, I'm going to put that out there. But, man, I would have loved to see him kick out. And maybe Kushida takes the pin. Kushida is another person that they're probably trying to build up. I don't know. I'm very worried. I'm very worried with where Champ is going to be heading into 2021 because – and Finn Balor, eventually, Karrion Cross is going to come back. Eventually, eventually. And he's going to be worthy of that title picture and regaining the championship. I don't know. I don't know when the right time for Tommaso Ciampa to get back goalie is, but I do know I want to see it. And I don't know. I don't know, my friend. I'm, I'm very worried. Very worried. 
The, uh, it's understandable to have concern about Tommaso Ciampa right now. You just gave a laundry list of reasons since NXT TakeOver Portland's to be concerned about where he's been in the NXT just general situation. He's having good matches with talents that we should have our eye on, like the Jake Atlas, like, um, like Austin Theory. He's still having good matches. He's still being that psycho killer that we know and love and respect and however you want to perceive him. I was worried more before this promo. I think this is the one that, okay, maybe I sh- maybe I can take a step back and let him just kind of do his thing and really put the trust in what NXT has and what, what he's done for NXT. Mm-hmm. Kind of one of those situations, the business doesn't watch. We don't, <laughs> he doesn't watch the business, the business watches him. That's, that's another Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa parallel. Carrying Cross, Finn Balor, and Tommaso Ciampa all being kind of weirdly intertwined right now. Because Cross is that demon that's haunting Tommaso Ciampa. Finn Bauer has what Karrion Cross never lost. And Finn Bauer versus Tommaso Ciampa on paper just has my mark juices flowing, taking me to six to midnight. It's just one of those things that you see that you you point out three great stars and you think of a possible program with them for the NXT title. I think it's possible but again, that does depend on where Tommaso Ciampa goes from here and how how ruthlessly he goes straight on through the VD. Um, hopefully that happens sooner than later. I believe that's for the November 4th edition of NXT television. Do I have that correct? Next week. Yep. Next week. Okay. So November 4th is going to have um, Ember Moon versus Dakota Kai as well as Tommaso Ciampa versus VD. So we're, uh, we're in for a couple good matches going on next week. Um, I think we covered as much ground as Tommaso Ciampa's booking has allowed us to cover right now. I think it's main event time. I think it's time to talk Candice LeRae versus NXT Women's Champion Io Shirai in a, another live music entrance. Poppy returns to NXT. And I didn't know I liked Poppy before NXT, Peyton. I really didn't. I know she was one of those names that was floating around the internet, and I knew... Okay, she's got a really unique look to her, but the music type and I, I, I'm being I'm being a real fan of Poppy. I like I like how she's been introducing stars here in NXT. Hi, I'm Poppy. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, no, I I am not going to lie. As soon as she made her first appearance on NXT, I picked up a couple of her songs, "Scary Mask." Uh, there's one other that I'm blanking on at the moment. She, she's a really great artist, and she fits this vibe because. She is a character, for, for lack of a better term. She does portray herself. And, of course, I mean, the connection between her and Shirai, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy whenever she has the opportunity to play out Io Shirai specifically. Because I feel as though there is a connection between them. I perhaps cannot effectively articulate it, but I think their styles are very similar. Very similar. There's, some, there's something about that dark genius of the sky and the dark aesthetic that Poppy seems to have with her with her music. I think there's there's definitely something there as far as parallels with the characters go. Um, yeah, this match involving Spin the Wheel also to make the deal. I think that one. I, I I probably would have had another match featuring the wheel. That way, it didn't just feel like this is only built to attack the Garganos. Make it feel like a more overarching theme of the events i think maybe atlas versus uh versus escobar could have been a spin a wheel make the deal match 
Um, but this one was one hell of a deal. We would have a pun in this one with tables, ladders, and scares. Tables, ladders, and scares. I was kind of oh hoping. My. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Going back to your point before, I would have really liked if Shotzi just kind of stopped the wheel on Shotzi's choice. Mm-hmm. And then just yeah. kind of have something go from there. I think that could have been a fun, uh, you know, kind of also play back to the whole, you screwed me out of this NXT Women's Championship match. Now I'm going to use my power as host to kind of get back at you. And uh, considering how everything played out, I think that would have kind of fit in very nicely. But an honest spin of the wheel here, um, either five cents or a dollar, depending on who you were in this matchup. It was tables, ladders, and scares between Io Shirai and Candice LeRae. Not the violence didn't just feature tables, ladders, and chairs, though. We also saw a laptop to the face from Candice LeRae to Io Shirai. The chairs is such a tool of this rivalry, Peyton. The steel chair and the storytelling that the steel chair and kendo sticks have told in this rivalry, absolutely great. I think it was kind of building to something like this environment. It wouldn't have been my first guess my first guess would have been a Shotzi's choice match and then whatever randomized from there but I do I think that the use of weapons in this story continuing into this matchup was very good I probably would have liked to see some candy corn themed kendo sticks tonight but I'm going to digress away from that point the use of the steel chair one hell of a wild ride through two tables at this point too the use of weapons in this matchup as well as the storytelling great stuff out of both ladies Oh, absolutely. There was a point, I think I even tweeted about it. It's spot after spot after spot, especially with the the chair. You have LeRae's ankle stuck in the chair. Shirai corkscrews it. Then uh, LeRae hits her with a receipt and cracks her with it on the back, and then they go through the tables. And that's a testament to these superstars is endurance, because that's not all women, maybe not even all women in NXT's women's division can pull off that sequence of moves. Beautiful work. Beautifully done. I don't think anybody's really – got to think of how much it took for this matchup because nobody has the hardcore background as well as the athleticism like Candice LeRae. Mm-hmm. Candice LeRae won the tag team championships on the independent scene by herself. She's a freaking legend. <laughs> That's yeah. my story, and I'm sticking to it. But Candice is tough, man. Candice LeRae is tougher than I am, and I have a second-degree black belt. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try and lie to you. I've never fallen off a 15-foot ladder through another freaking ladder before. That takes a whole other sort of back pain that I'm not willing to go through. Scream is back. <laughs> we would see Wild Ride through two tables. We would see chairs, but it would all come down to this, this ghostly figure again. But Shotzi Blackheart would not be upstaged on her own show. I like how that kind of canceled each other out without revealing the identity of this this ghost face killer. But I think you and I are really onto something here. I think a Shotzi Blackheart versus Indy Hartwell rivalry might possibly come out of this as well. Exactly. I, I'm really glad there wasn't the same finish. One of the takeovers that really resonate with me and probably my favorite takeover of all time is NXT TakeOver Philadelphia because each match had a specific a very unique, specific finish. A very unique, specific finish. Some were based on in-ring pedigree and the moves that won the match. But in terms of finishes at Halloween Havoc, you don't want the Scream character to give the championship to the Garganos, both of them. You just saw that earlier in the night in the NXT North American Championship match between Johnny Gargano and Damian Priest. So I love that Blackheart intervened 
and she was the peacemaker, if you will, and really even the playing field because you don't want to see the same finish, for lack of a better term. And the finish we did see, I love it. I love it. I mean, I have goosebumps right now just thinking about all the amazing finishes and segments, promos that we saw at Halloween Havoc. It was one of the best NXT shows that I can recall from top to bottom. And, of course, you got to finish strong, and that's what we saw here. Halloween Havoc was on the takeover level. It was supposed to be, and it absolutely delivered to that front. I like the finish of this match, too, now that I've had time to think about it. Because I sat there after the events. Okay, Scream is helping Candice LeRae up the ladder. Cool. Blackheart says no. And then Candice becoming conscious, but not conscious enough to avoid getting knocked off of a ladder. And again, she's tougher than me. God damn. All of us. (laughs) What a a freaking backdrop. Candice LeRae is tougher than you. That's that's inarguable. I thought it was going to happen. I'm really I'm I'm sitting there thinking, okay, Candace is gonna wake up and she's gonna take the title while Io gets knocked out by by Scream and then Scream gets revealed. Didn't happen. Candace goes crumbling through the through the ladder. Io Shirai manages to secure her championship. Very upset at this ending as I was sitting there watching the show because the power couple should have reigned by the end here. I still kind of feel that way. But I feel that way a little bit less now that I've actually had time to sit here and talk to you regarding all the talent in the women's division and how many opponents I still want to see Io Shirai face off with before I see Candice LeRae face off with them. But I think that if you're going to have this full-on angle here, Johnny Gargano winning in the first match would have given away the main event. So I fully understand it from a booking and a spoiler-free zone sort of mentality so that's only why if this match didn't main event i think the power couple should have reigned by the end here but io shirai io shirai winning io shirai standing tall at the end of a show has not steered us wrong before it continues to deliver happy smiling faces on on numerous occasions for us and it's just always always a great match io shirai holding on to that title has the rain been a little long? Yeah, but it hasn't been for lack of great in-ring competition. I think the power couple should have reigned, but not if this match was going to main events. That's ultimately what I ended up thinking by the end and by the time I sat here to discuss this with you. Well, let me throw out another NXT stat of the day, if you will. Think about all the dominance Io Shirai has had in ladder matches. Think about it. I, I, it really dawned on me when she's standing up at the top of the ladder and she unhooks the belt. I'm thinking, huh, I've seen that before. It's because we have. We, we've seen it in the lead up to NXT TakeOver War Games last year when she beat Mia Yim with the help of Kaylee Ray, of course, to secure the War Game advantage for Team Baszler. We saw it in what was supposed to be um, NXT TakeOver Tampa, and we saw it Specifically, the match was a number one contenders match in which Shirai won. I believe it was it had to be April 8th. I think it was the same day as one final beat. But April 8th, you have Shirai winning a ladder match for the number one contendership to go on and face Charlotte Flair and all, all that great stuff. And then we have it again here at Halloween Havoc. So that's three ladder matches in which Io Shirai is reigning supreme, unhooking 
uh, contenderships, unhooking uh, war game advantages, and now unhooking the title. Three ladder match victories in a span of just over 11 months, under a year. It's, it, it's crazy to me, and I, I love it because it's really building, if you want to go down the sports avenue, that Io Shirai, the genius of the sky, cannot be beat in a ladder match when there is a literal championship hanging above her head. She's going to get it. And I, I really love it. I, it's a very subtle storyline. It probably isn't even one. But as someone who loves statistics and dives deep into them when it comes to NXT, I appreciate it. I love that you made that connection because as soon as you were spouting off those numbers thinking, oh, my God, the genius of the sky not being able to be beaten in ladder matches is such a good subtle detail for her character. That is so important. It sh- I love when a superstar can have a specialty match type. And if she's going to share the same one as the Hardys while being disinspired by Rey Mysterio, that is right up my cruiserweight loving spot monkey loving alley. That's where I'm at. So it, it did. It, it, especially, especially now that you say that, it really did make sense for Io Shirai to walk out with the championship here. I think that I'm still in this long-term, okay, the Johnny Gargano way, the Candice LeRae sort of this this win matches by any means necessary is still is still sorting itself out. Maybe they don't become champion, champions on the same night, but they will be champions at the same time. I think, like I mentioned earlier, this title reign for Johnny Gargano is going to go significantly better as far as numbers and days and statistics go than his previous two title reigns put together. I think that Johnny's in for good and big things as champion, and I think Candice is on her way there. So as much as we're sitting here still appreciating Io Shirai's title reign, we're talking a lot about the possibilities for Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano. And the fact that we're still able to talk about Candice LeRae securing the women's championship after having this many matches, it does feel different than on the other side, where, like you said, Johnny Gargano went into this North American title match with five straight championship losses. Candice LeRae, yeah, she's pro- she's on a similar projection, but it doesn't feel that way. I think she, I think her story is being told just a little bit better, or it's been less obvious in the way that she's been losing. And I think she's still worth talking about as a possible championship contender. And again, the power couple is going to reign. It just wasn't at the end of Halloween Havoc. Another fun statistic for you, my friend. If we're talking WCW named events, Io Shirai has main evented Great American Bash. And she's main evented Halloween Havoc. I think that's incredible. I don't know if it was WCW, but she did main event in your house, too. That's old school WWF. I had somebody okay. point that out to me as well. But, yes, as far as main eventing pay-per-view names from the 90s, Io Shirai is a legend. I'll always turn that expertise over to you. Uh, I I don't know. When I think about LeRae, it it's like I mentioned subtly with Orton McIntyre. If you keep on giving a challenger, opportunities, he or she is eventually going to win. And I'm beginning to learn as a fan, I'm really hating hating that. I mean, or you and I, we're, we're both mixed martial arts guys. We, we love watching UFC. The reason UFC trilogies are so captivating, the latest one between Daniel Cormier and Steve Amiotis for the heavyweight championship, is because it's a grudge match. 1-1. That's the series. It's not two nothing. It's not. It's not three nothing. I, I, I can't get into these long. I can't get into these long rivalries that go three or four matches if both competitors have not won. And 
as much as Candice LeRae and her character is very deserving of holding that gold, I almost want, I almost wonder if NXT creative is going to need to punt this and wait a little bit because I, I don't really want to see LeRae somehow, oh, well, we're going to have a regular wrestling match, and then she cheats with something, and then she wins, and then, okay, you, you really don't deserve a third title match. I, I don't know. This is something I'm discovering about myself as a fan. And I just wonder if you know other people feel the same way because, to me, if you're going to have a trilogy, it's got to be 1-1. It's got to be a grudge match. It's got to be warranted. I'm with you there. I think I, I think we might feel a little bit differently if Lorray won back in Toronto and then Io Shirai ended up with the title back from her. And then we keep them separated until this match at Halloween Havoc. I think that would have been awesome. Continue it from last August. Give the early part of 2020 to Candice LeRae's title reign. Switch it at in your house. Mm-hmm. Let's have let's let let's take Charlotte Flair out of the equation for a second, and her title reign altogether. And I think that that could have done some justice to your point about this being a real serious, who's going to take it kind of trilogy. I think uh, I think sh- I, I cannot be in more agreement with you. It's got to be one one. It's got to be two two. There's got to be that game five, game seven feel mm-hmm. in a rivalry and. Uh, I, I think the women's division is capable of that. I don't know if it's going to strike here with how far we've gone with Io Shirai and Candice LeRae, but maybe somebody else. Maybe we get a series of matches from Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley where they go back and forth a little more. I think uh, I think there's a couple couple wins on each side if I'm if I'm remembering correctly on that front as uh, as well. Um. Okay. Well. That that about covers our super super spooky edition of uh, of Halloween Havoc, October twenty eighth, two thousand twenty. Peyton, any other closing remarks? Anything you want to plug? Anything you're uh, you're up to? Well, right now I'm not up to, to too much, unfortunately, in the in the wrestling community. Just just gotta take care of some business, otherwise. But I guess I'm just I guess if you want to plug. Um, I, I need to plug my Twitter uh, at PC Westner at PC W E S N E R. I'm basically just your friendly neighborhood stat guy. Not as cool as Spider Man, but I'm trying to get as strong as Roddy over here. This is my Halloween costume. I know, you know, if you're listening audio wise, maybe I'll have to post something on Twitter. But I'm going as Halloween as Roderick Strong. He's my hero, man. I mean, I love Roderick Strong. Everyone loves Adam Cole. I love Adam Cole. I love Bobby Fish. I love Kyle O'Reilly. I love the whole Undisputed Era. But Roderick Strong's my man. I mean, you know, it was either that or Steve Harrington from Stranger Things. Someone told me the other day I look like Steve Harrington from Stranger Things. Um, Roll it out a little more, and I think die it dark, and you might have something. You, you, you need the, I think there's a little more flock of seagulls that needs to go into your cut, but I could definitely see it in, in the facial features. Hey, maybe next year. Maybe next year. I, I love Stranger Things. I mean, Steve Harrington, I, I could get uh, the whole Scoops Ahoy get up. I, I could pull that off. But this year, Roddy Strong. Roddy, I'm just trying to be strong like you, man. Shout out to uh, Stranger Things. Big big fan of that show as well. Kind of feels weird uh, not having a new season right around now. I think uh, that's that's worth a rewatch. And if I could plug other things I've been doing, uh, the boys on Amazon Prime. Um. Yeah, that's what non-wrestling activity I've been up to. I can absolutely second, third, fourth, fifth. You should be following Peyton on Twitter because I'm always getting these NXT stats of the day that are like, how long ago did that happen? Why is that so long ago? 
how haven't I thought about this for such a long period of time? It felt like such a big moment. Thank you for always bringing those to my attention. So, uh, yeah, at PCWESNER. Follow this show. You, of course, know where to find it. At podcast underscore UF is the Twitter. The Instagram is Undisputed Future Podcast, all one word. Still trying to figure out my incredible login credentials there. Going to try and get the Facebook page up and running again. Um, but Twitter's the main source. Twitter's where you're going to find all my most interactions. When I'm not putting out podcast episodes, I'm always putting my thoughts out there and engaging with great fans like uh, like Mr. Westner here. Um, no matter where or how you're listening to the show, thank you so much for doing so, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, which I think I'm either up or I'm pending review for. So I've got a couple more sources for you to listen to on that front. And until next time, I'm CD Danny Mac. This is Peyton Westner. Say bye-bye, Peyton. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show, brother. It's always a pleasure. Anytime, my friend, we'll be doing this again soon. We'll be doing this on NXT Wednesday when Next Stop is back and running without a shadow of a doubt. But for now, this has been that UFP show that is all about the NXT show. This has been episode 116 of the longest-running, independently-produced NXT podcast available. I am CD Danny Mac, the voice that is your choice for NXT discussion, the OG of NXT, the man with a PhD in NXT TV. Ladies and gentlemen of Team NXT, I will talk to you next time. Go vote.